Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Wonderful to see you. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I have to give a testimony. I broke my foot four days ago. How am I doing? Is this amazing? They prayed for me. The doctor said, you can't put any weight on that foot. And I said, excuse me, but I am scheduled to preach in Grand Rapids. This was in Moscow on Wednesday. And here we are. And I think I'm doing pretty good. Praise the Lord. Amen. But before I get into the word, I want to say something about Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie. This morning, I got up at 2.30 in the morning because we have a time difference. And I was just praying about this meeting and praying about Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie. They are such remarkable people. And Dwayne mentioned that we've been coming here for 36 or 37 years. And you know, when you've been in the ministry a long time, you see people come, you see people go, you see people do well, then you see them make mistakes. It is so unusual to see people in ministry with such longevity that are just the same and just keep moving forward. And you are blessed to have Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie as the leaders of this church. You're really blessed. And I want to say to you publicly how much Denise and I love you. We respect you. And I owe so much to you for many things. But thank you so much for your friendship and for being godly leaders. And let's keep running this race because we have a long way to run. We're not done. Amen? Amen. But put your hand on your heart and I want to pray. And we're going to dive right into the word. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, today I ask that you would speak through me and speak to me, that you would speak to all of us today, that you would give us something practical, something that would make a difference in the way that we live our lives. And we thank you for this in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, reach for your Bible and open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And today we're going to begin in verse 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And thank you so much for being here today. And if you're watching online, we're so glad that you're with us today. But when you come to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, the writer of Hebrews says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. But notice at the very first of verse 14, it says, follow peace with all men. Now, if you know anything about my ministry, you know that we dive into the Greek language because that is what I do. So we're going to begin with the word follow in verse 14. And when you read this in the Greek text, the word follow is the Greek word dioko. The word dioko is a fiercely aggressive word. And in fact, the word follow here, dioko, is usually translated in the New Testament as the word persecute. And it tells us that persecution is not something accidental, but persecution is deliberate. It's when somebody makes a deliberate decision, they're going to follow you and follow you and follow you until somehow they apprehend you in order to take you down. And in fact, This word dioko, which here is translated as the word follow, is really a hunting term, and it depicts a hunter who puts on his hunting gear, he gets his 
gun or he gets whatever kind of weapon he's using and he begins to follow the tracks of the animal. And in fact, the tense that is used in this verse means to follow, 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 and keep following, and keep following. And it pictures the hunter who is now completely dressed in his hunting clothes. He's got all of his weapons, and he's following the tracks of the animal. He's following every little broken branch, following the smell, the tracks of the animal, until finally he captures that animal. And now that word is taken into this verse, which means if we're going to have peace in our relationships, we cannot wait on peace to come to us. We've got to put on our hunting clothes and say, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to capture peace in my relationship with this person. And it's interesting that that same word is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, where we are told that we are to follow after love which means if you're sitting at home waiting for love to come to you, you're probably going to miss out on love. If you're going to have loving relationships, then you've got to put on your hunting gear and you've got to make a decision. I'm going to follow and follow and follow and follow and follow until finally I capture real loving relationships in my life. Peace and love has to be pursued. And this verse says, follow after peace. And the word peace is the Greek word arane. And when you hear the word peace, you think it just means to be peaceful. But in fact, the word arane describes the inflict, the into conflict, the into disruption. And in fact, it was the very Greek word which was used to describe the end of a civil war when finally it was time to lay down the weapons and to begin to restore civility and restore order to society. And when the Bible says to follow after peace, it means put everything you have into getting rid of incivility in your life. Get rid of the disruptions, and instead of wasting all your energy on conflict, now it is time to begin a period of building and restoration in that relationship. And the scripture is very, very strong. The tense is very strong. That if you're going to capture peace in any relationship, you have to aggressively pursue it. Otherwise, you probably will not have peace. And the verse amazingly says, follow after peace with how many men? All men, which means it is to be our objective to have peace with all men. That doesn't mean that it's always possible, but the goal is to have peace with all men. And I want to tell you a story from my life to demonstrate what I'm talking to you about. In the year 1991, a man by the name of Dwayne Vanderklok conned me into a mission trip to the former Soviet Union. It was back in the old building for this church, and I was still pretty new in Dwayne's life, and he was pretty new in my life. And I came into his office on a Sunday morning just before I was to preach, and he was on the phone with a friend named Dave Duell. And when I walked in, he said, Rick, sit down. We have something to talk to you about. So I sat down. He said, a Bible school has just opened in the former Soviet Union, and we're going on a mission trip, and you are going to go with us. I said, excuse me, I'm not going to go with you anywhere. First of all, I had no interest in missions. I didn't even like missionaries. I didn't like them. I had missionaries in my family. And I just didn't see me ever working on the foreign mission field. But by the time it was 
we were to go in and preach in this service. He had already conned me into this trip, and I heard myself say, yes, I'll go, and I'm a man of my word. So I said, okay, I'll go, and I went. Found myself on an airplane with him and Dave Duell and John Verican, whom I had never met until we got on the airplane. And we flew to the former Soviet Union, and the whole way to the former Soviet Union, and at that time it was not former, it was the Soviet Union, I kept thinking, why am I on this trip? And it was on that trip that God spoke to me and told me that I was to relocate my family to the Soviet Union. It totally changed my life. Thank you, Pastor Dwayne. Thank you. Well, about a year later, we finally relocated to the former Soviet Union. And one day, God spoke to my heart and said, now I'm going to tell you why I really brought you here. And I learned that sometimes... God doesn't really tell you the truth about what he's doing until you're in movement and it's too late to go backwards. I thought I was going for one reason. But when we got there, the real reason opened up in front of us. And the Lord spoke to me and said, the need in the Soviet Union is so immense that you cannot wait to raise up enough churches and pastors to do the job. These people need the Bible and they knew absolutely nothing about the Bible because of atheism. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to take Sunday school into every home via television. Well, that was impossible because television at that time was controlled by the KGB. Furthermore, God was an illegal subject. You could not publicly talk about God. And not only that, I was an American. I was to be viewed as the enemy of the state. So how is an enemy of the state going to be on television to the entire Soviet Union and freely talk about the off-topic subject of God publicly on television? But, you know, sometimes when you have a word from God and you're stupid, it's a blessing. (laughs) I didn't know what we couldn't do. So I just said, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, that's what we're going to do. And I began traveling and negotiating for TV contracts. And soon we found ourselves filming TV programs, which began to be broadcast into homes all over that part of the world. Well, I wanted to test the waters to see how many people were really watching our program. So I said, if you will write me, I will write you back. What I did not know is that Soviet people loved to write letters. And in 10 months, we received 800,000 letters. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen 800,000 letters, my friends. It is mountains and mountains and mountains of mail. In fact, we stopped counting them by the pieces, and we began to count our mail by the tons. And finally, Denise and I made a decision that we wanted to test the waters again. So we would hold a local meeting in Riga where we were living at that time. So I went on the air and I said, we're going to have a healing service in Riga. It's going to be a miracle service. If you need a miracle, come to our meeting. Well, at that time, the pharmacies were completely void of all medications. You could not even buy aspirin back in those days. Well, where there is no medications... Healing is really good news. But I did not understand how big this announcement would be. And we made an announcement for 10 days every day on television. Please come to our meeting at this central location in the city of Riga. And we rented a venue which seated 8,000 people just to see what would happen. Oh, every day. I said, Denise, do you think anybody will show up? 
What do you think is going to happen, Denise? So finally, the day came for the meeting. We got in our car. We're driving down the cobblestone street in Riga on the way to the venue. And thousands of people were all walking down the street in one direction. And I said to Denise, where are all these people going? There must be some kind of an event in town that's going to really mess up our meeting. And then when we got to the venue, we saw they were all going into our venue for our meeting. And we had 40,000 people attend our meetings. In those days, 7,000 people prayed to receive Christ. And that week, we water baptized in three days 926 people. And that was our first public meeting in the former Soviet Union. But while I was standing on the stage looking out at this crowd in the very last service, my heart was just rejoicing because it was just like when Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ. Demons screamed as they came out. People were healed. There was great joy in that city, and we had baptized a host of people. And now it was time to wrap it up. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, now what are you going to do with these people. And I understood. It meant that I was to have an ongoing responsibility for this people. And God was calling me to start a church in the city of Riga. So we announced we were going to hold the first services for the new Good News Church. And you know, it's very interesting. Because when you start a church of atheists, they don't know anything. They hardly even know who God is. Even if they just got saved, they're not quite sure they know who Jesus is. They just responded because the Holy Spirit moved in their heart. They have no idea what is the Old Testament, what is the New Testament. How do you begin teaching people who know absolutely nothing about God? And so we took five weeks, and for five weeks, we walked about six or 700 people through the very basic elements of the Christian faith and then announced that we were going to hold our first meeting on Easter Sunday. And guess what? It was the first legal Easter in 70 years. Easter had not been celebrated for 70 years, and this was the first recognized legal Easter. And we were going to hold it at the Riga Kino Theater, which was right downtown, a very significant historical theater. But the prime minister of the nation did not like me and took a stand against me. Now, you know, sometimes pastors say, oh, we're having problems with our local city board. And I always think, all right, but have you ever had a prime minister stand against you? The prime minister of the nation swore he would stop our meeting and stop our ministry. And so now it was time for the first meeting to begin. It was Easter. And we are told the morning of the meeting that we cannot have our meeting in that location but we've already invited people to come to the meeting. So quickly we found another location, and the location we found was the former Communist Congress Hall in Riga, and the person in control of that Congress Hall did not like the prime minister, so he said, bring your people over here, and we started our first church services in the Communist Auditorium of the Republic of Latvia. And right under my feet, under that stage, was a mammoth bust of Lenin, probably about eight feet tall. And every time I preached on that stage, Lenin was right under my feet. I've got to tell you, that was a special thrill, knowing the devil was under our feet. So we began our services. And because we were on TV, very quickly people began to come to our services. 
The power of God erupted in those services, my friends. It was like an event right out of the book of Acts. And thank God our sons were there. They literally saw every miracle that you've ever read about in the book of Acts as God's power exploded. It just detonated right in our midst. And the church began to grow. People were hanging over the top of the balcony. People were standing in the aisles. And this is the way that we began our church. But there was another pastor in town a little short guy who before we came to Riga declared that God had given him the city of Riga. Every other church would close and all the other pastors and their congregations would come to his church and the pastors would acknowledge that he was the great spiritual leader of Riga. When our church began to grow, it infuriated him because he felt I had invaded his territory. But in fact, until that moment, I didn't even know that he existed. I wasn't trying to take anybody's territory except the devil's territory. And God had moved in our church, and he became offended because our church began to grow so quickly. And I began to hear tales about what he was telling his church about me. And word got back to me that he said to his church, listen, any preacher that is bald is under the curse of God. Never attend a church of any bald preacher. When I first heard that, I thought it was hilarious. And then I began to think about it. It began to irritate me. What a stupid thing for him to say. Well, he was a little, little guy. And this got so under my skin that I just got perturbed with the fact that he would say I was under a curse because I was bald. And finally, a day came when I decided I was going to address this issue. So I stood in the pulpit. Denise was on the front row. She knew what I was about to do. And from the front row, Denise was saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And I said, I understand there's another pastor in town, a little short guy, a pygmy pastor, who says anybody who is bald is under the curse of God. But if you want to know my opinion, anybody whose growth has been that stunted is obviously the one who's under some kind of a curse. And my friends, I'm telling you, a preacher war began like you have never heard of a preacher war in your life. Between me and him, the members of our church, the members of his church. And you know, when you become offended with somebody, a little bird carries you every word that they have said about you to make sure you have further reasons to feel justified in your offense. And I just made a decision. I did not like that man. I was not going to tolerate that man. I did not like his doctrine. I did not like his behavior. But now my behavior was just as ugly as his. And one day I was praying. Months had gone by. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, Rick, would you like to have revival in your life? 
I said, oh, Lord, you know I want revival. He said, Rick, do you really want revival in your life? I said, oh, Lord, you know I want revival. And he asked me a third time, do you really want revival in your life? I said, Lord, you know I really want revival in my life and in my church. And the Holy Spirit said, if you really want revival, then get in your car, drive across town to the office of this other pastor, go into his office, get on your knees in front of him, and apologize for everything you have said about him. Do you really want revival? And I said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Now, has the Holy Spirit ever asked any of you to do something difficult ever before? This was just a little difficult for me to do, and I did not want to go to him. I did not want to get on my knees in front of him because he had already declared that all the preachers of the city were going to come to him on their knees, and I did not want to fulfill his prophecy. But yet the Lord told me I was to go to him and get on my knees and ask for forgiveness. And I heard myself saying, me ask for forgiveness? What about him? What about him? And the Holy Spirit said, I'm not talking to you about him. I'm talking to him about him. I'm talking to you about you. You forget about him. I'm talking to you about you. Are you going to obey me? And I said, I don't know if I'm going to obey you. I don't know. So months begin to go by. But you know, when the Holy Spirit's trying to deal with you, he's like the hound dog of heaven. He's just right on your heels asking you all the time, are you going to obey me? 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 And every time I prayed, I would hear the Holy Spirit saying, are you going to obey me? And finally, one day I said, yes, 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 I'm going to obey you. So I said to my associate, whom Pastor Dwayne knows, is Andre Chabotra in Riga, I said, the Lord has told me to go across town, to get on my knees, and ask for forgiveness for my attitude. And he said, yeah, well, what about him? I said, that's exactly what I said. And the Lord told me not to worry about him, that he's dealing with me. I said, the Lord has told me to get on my knees. He said, you know, just don't get on your knees. If you go, just don't get on your knees. He's waiting for everybody to get on their knees. I said, just be quiet. But I want you to go with me for moral support. So he got in the car, we drove across town, and when I walked into the building, all the people and the staff there began buzzing, the enemy is in the building, the former other preachers in the building. I walked up the stairs all the way down to this man's office, walked in, and there he was sitting behind his desk. Well, I'm not making fun of short people, but my friends, he was so little, you could barely see him sitting behind the desk. <laughs> so I sat down, and uh, we talked about the weather, talked about our grandkids, our kids, talked about our ministries, trying to buy time because I really did not do what the Lord was asking me to do, but yet I knew that this was the assignment. I was digging on my knees. I was to apologize to this man. 
when there was nothing else to talk about, I said, well, you're probably wondering why I'm really here today. He said, yes, I am. I said, I'm here today because the Lord is requiring me to deal with something in me. He looked across the table. You could almost see a sense of glee in his eyes. I'm not kidding. And I slipped out of my chair onto one knee. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, both knees. So I got onto my second knee. And I said, I'm here today to deal with me. And then I felt myself slipping in the wrong direction. This is the way my repentance began. I've heard a lot of bad things you've said about me. Hard to even believe anybody would say the things that you've said about me. I felt myself just going in that direction, but that's not what I came to do. So I pulled back and I said, however, I'm not here to deal with you. I'm here to deal with me and to ask for your forgiveness for the things that I've said about you. And I looked up and I am not kidding. He had come clear across the top of his desk and was hovering over the edge of it, looking at me with his eyes like this, like he was thrilled to see me on my knees. And I remember looking at him thinking, you ought to be on your knees too. You need to be asking for forgiveness just like I am. But I didn't come here to deal with him. I came to deal with me. And that day when I got off my knees, I made a decision that I was going to capture peace with this man. And capturing peace with this man would not be an easy thing to do because he was a difficult man. He is still a difficult man. But Dennis and I began to invite him and his wife to our home for dinner, asked them to preach in our church, gave them a marvelous offering for their ministry, which he laughed at and made fun of in front of his staff. And isn't it amazing? People tell you all those things that, oh, you just wish they hadn't told you. Here we made this sacrificial gift to his ministry. I'm trying to capture peace with this man. He holds the check in front of his staff and laughs that we couldn't give him a more substantial gift. It was such a substantial gift. When we were in the middle of our own building program, he just kept doing thing after thing after thing to trip me up, but I made a decision. I was a big pastor in that town, and he was a big pastor in that town, and I'm not going to be at war with another pastor. If I have to put on my hunting gear, I'm going to follow and follow and follow and follow and follow until I capture peace with this man. And my friends, I'm going to tell you, eventually... We apprehended peace. He is still a difficult man, but I love him very much. And today we are very dear friends. And today the things he used to do that disturbed me, I can laugh at and just kind of 
shake off. It's just who he is, but I don't care who he is. I'm going to love that man regardless, and I love him very much to this day. But I had to follow after peace to capture peace with that man. Now, I'm not telling you this story because it makes me proud of myself. I am thankful that this was 33 years ago. But all of us have moments in our relationships when somebody upsets us. And when somebody upsets us, there's something pharisaical that stands up in us, and we forget that maybe at some point in the past, we also have been hurtful or offensive to somebody else. And we just take on a judgmental mode. And my friends, when you have a judgmental mode, it hinders you from capturing peace with that other person. And we're commanded in Scripture to follow after peace with all men. And in fact, this is so very important that the next part of the verse says, and holiness... The word holiness is the Greek word hagias. The word hagias, translated holiness in the New Testament, describes something that is different, something that is separate. It is the equivalent of saying, follow after peace with all men and be different. Don't act like the rest of the world. You behave differently, without which no man shall see the Lord. Well, if you just take that at face value, It seems that if you have unforgiveness or if you have strife in any of your relationships, this verse says you won't see the Lord or you won't go to heaven. But we all know that there have been bitter, unforgiving Christians who died and went to heaven. So it cannot mean that. And in fact, when this verse says, without which no man shall see the Lord, the word see means to be admitted into the immediate presence of, and a better translation would be like this. Follow after peace aggressively pursue peace with all men and be different. God holds you to a higher standard than other people. And without this, you will not be admitted into the experiential presence of God. That really is a better translation. And this explains why someone can be in a church service where everyone around you is just being blessed, 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 and you don't feel one stinking thing. And it's because there's something going on inside you which is blocking you from experiencing the presence of the Lord. And according to this verse, when we have issues in our heart that are unresolved, that cause strife, it can result in us being blocked from experiencing the presence of the Lord. And this early experience in our life 33 years ago was so foundational for me and Denise that we made a decision that in our ministry and in our marriage, we would have a no-strife policy. And my friends, I'm telling you, Denise and I nearly have no strife ever in our marriage, not because of emotions, because we made a decision. We're not going to give place to strife in our marriage nor in our ministry because it's a blocker which stops you from entering into the experiential presence of God. We just don't allow that because we need the presence of God in our life, and we don't want any issues to throw up a blockage from what we really need. So if we have an issue, we deal with it as quickly as we can because we don't want to be blocked from experiencing the enjoyable presence of the Lord or our ministry having the favor that it needs. Early in our ministry, even before that event, Denise and I noticed that when we were traveling, when we were first starting our traveling ministry, 
We were traveling in a little tiny car. It was an Isuzu iMac. I don't know if, you, if any of you remember that, but I mean, we're talking about a little tiny car. I would be driving. Denise would be sitting to my right. Back in those days, there were no seatbelt laws for kids like there are today. So Paul was in the back seat, and Denise was carrying Philip on her, on her lap. And that environment was so tight. It was like we were joined at the hips in that little car driving for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And Paul would be in the back seat crying and Philip would be crying on Denise's lap. And sometimes it got pretty intense. <sighs> and we would get into strife. And every time we got into strife, something happened. Something happened. Something bad happened every single time we got into strife. Either someone got sick or something crazy took place. I'll give you an example of what happened. One night, we were traveling in the car. It was so intense in that little car with Paul crying in the back seat and Philip crying in the front seat and me driving, wanting everybody to be quiet. And finally, I said, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. I've got to get out of this car. So I parked the car, went into a convenience store to get a big piping cup of hot coffee. Came back to the car and saw to my left, a police car was standing there. Well, we had a problem with Paul because Paul would not stay in his seat. How many of you have ever had a child that would not stay in their seats? Paul was constantly getting out of his seat, getting out of his seat. I'd get him back in his seat, get back in my seat. He's already back out of his seat. I'd get back out of my car, go back there, put him back in his seat, get back in my seat. He's already out of his seat. And this was one of those nights when I just could not keep Paul in his seat. Well, I saw a policeman there, and I had an idea. So I walked over and knocked on the door. I said, officer, would you help me with something? He said, well, what do you need? I said, I have a little boy that I can't get to stay in his seat. I said, would you please come to my car and tell him you're going to arrest him if he doesn't stay in his seat? He said, that is funny. Nobody has ever asked me to do that before. So he got out of his car, came over, opened my side of the car, put his foot up on the rim of the car, looked in, and pulled out his revolver and tapped it on his leg and said, little boy, do you know what happens to boys that don't stay in their seats? <laughs> and while all this was going on, which was all birthed in a moment of strife, Philip, who was on Denise's lap, reached over and just put his entire hand into that piping hot coffee. Began to scream and scream and scream. So the officer went away. We got in the car. We drove off. And Philip would not quit screaming. And finally, we pulled the car over. We turned the lights on because it was late at night. And the skin on Philip's hand had melted so much that the skin had slipped off his hand and was lying down on the side of his arm. We ended up in the hospital nearly all night and had to go to the hospital every day for 30 days to have all the old skin cut off every day. And all of this was born in a moment of strife, strife. Even early on, we began to recognize strife was some kind of a door opener to all kinds of horrible, evil works. And in fact, James chapter 3 says that where there is confusion, there is every kind of evil work. 
so Denise and I already knew this, but when I had this event with this pastor, we really made a firm decision. No more strife. We're not having strife. We're not having it. Does this mean that we're perfect people? Of course not. There are things we both do that probably annoy one another. For example, I'll give you one. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm married to an angel. Denise is amazing. But there's one thing Denise does. She was leaving half bottles of water all over the house. Well, I'm, a, I'm really given to orderliness. And so I walk into the TV room. There's a half bottle of water just sitting there. Walk into the living room. There's a half bottle of water just sitting there. I'm wondering why she didn't finish that half bottle of water, but she didn't finish that when she started another one and then left that half bottle there. Then you walk into the central room and there's a half, there's a half bottle of water in the kitchen. In this room, there's an... And this just began to really bother me. And finally, for my 60th birthday, Denise said, Ricky, what do you want for your birthday? I said, Denise, for my birthday, I want you to stop leaving half bottles of water all over the house. And guess what? She did it. Then she began to leave half cups of water all over the house. And one day I said to the Lord, what is this thing about the water? And the Lord said, just, said, just shut up, pick it up and take it to the kitchen. It's easier just to take it to the kitchen than to get into strife. And that's the way I dealt with strife. Just pick it up and take it to the kitchen. It's not worth the strife that opens a door for so much bad stuff. And most importantly, when you've got something going on inside you, according to this verse, it says, without which no man shall see the Lord, which literally means when you've got these issues going on inside you, it's a, it's a blockage. It prohibits you from entering into the enjoyable presence of the Lord. And then the next verse begins, and this is where we're going to pick up in the next service. The next verse says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. And looking diligently in Greek is the word episkopos. It's a compound of two words, the word epi, which means over, the word skopos, which means to look. The word skopos is where you get the term for a microscope or a microscope or a telescope. It means to take an intense look. But when you put the two words together, episkopos, in the King James Version, translated looking diligently, but it carries the idea of one that is looking very focusedly over something. And in fact, the word episkopos is also where we get the word for a bishop. A bishop is one who says the final buck stops right here. I'm responsible for what's happening in this church or in this group of churches. I am ultimately responsible because I have a supervisory position. Now take all of that into that verse. And when it says looking diligently, the Greek word episkopos, a better translation would be bishoping yourself. Which means all of us, to some extent, are a bishop. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking at a bishop. That's who you are. You're looking at a bishop. You say, a bishop of what? The bishop of your own heart. 
The buck stops with you. Even if somebody else has done something you don't like, it is your heart. You're the only one that has the right to say yes or no to that offense. Therefore, you've got to say, the buck stops here. I'm the bishop of my heart. I'm the one who chooses what goes on inside me or what does not go on inside me. And the verse commands us to take a supervisory and responsible approach to whatever has been birthed inside our heart and in our soul. You can't point your finger at everybody else forever. You've got to take responsibility for your own emotions. And when you do that, then you can begin the process of walking free of strife and keeping your heart free so that you can always enjoy the wonderful presence of the Lord. Nothing to block you, to prohibit you from entering into that presence. But according to the first word in this chapter, follow, dioko, it means we're not going to have this peace and this situation by accident. We've got to put on our hunting gear and say, Holy Spirit, show me. Show me how to capture peace with my wife. Show me how to capture peace with my husband or with my child or with my friend at church or with that employer that I work for. Lord, you give me the key, and he has the key to every person's heart. And if we'll listen to him, he'll show us how to put on our hunting gear. And we've got to be determined that we're not going to stop until finally we have captured peace with all men. And this is where we're going to start in the next service. But I want you to put your hand on your heart and I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping us to capture peace with all people. We ask you to help the people that are trying to capture peace with us. And Lord, we pray for nothing in our lives that would block us from entering into your presence. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.